Hello there. Unfortunately, due to technical difficulties with our recording equipment, some of the audio quality you are about to hear is below average. We apologize for the inconvenience and thank you for bearing with us. Enjoy the episode. Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We will also be talking about the biggest movie in theaters, the sequel to the phenomenon, Black Panther. We will be discussing Ryan Coogler's Black Panther Wakanda Forever. So to start out with some news, I don't know if you've seen any trailers. No nope. Pixar's Elemental trailer has hit. The Magic Mike's Last Dance trailer has hit. Which you've seen the Magic Mike movies, correct? I have not seen the Magic Mike movies. Really? Okay. I have not seen any of them either. That is the final installment to the scenes. Channing Tatum coming back and finishing it out. And then nice. finally, Princess Diaries 3 is reportedly in development. And they're saying oh. it might end up being one of the Disney Plus things, similar oh. to how Disenchanted ended up there. They're thinking this might go there as well. Yeah, that sounds about right. For sure. But okay, for the box office breakdown, for November 11th to the 13th, of course, taking the crown, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, with 181 million, which was right on the money for what our predictions were. It is the biggest November opening by far, beating Hunger Games Catching Fires, 158 million. It is the second best opening of 2022. It wasn't able to beat out Multiverse of Madness, but Ooh. still a fantastic opening. It has made 330 million worldwide already. I think it's already cracked 400 by now at the time of recording. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But over that first weekend, it was 330 million. Yeah. So, it's doing gangbusters. I am very, very pleased with his performance. Interesting. As the person who picked it for my draft, it was my fourth pick. <laughs> it was. Well, it was a big question mark. You didn't know with, you know, trying to impose his death, how they were going to be able to handle that, mm-hmm. what kind of wrench that would throw into the filmmaking. But we'll talk about how we felt about the film itself later on this episode, but in terms of its performance at the box office, undoubtedly, it held quite well. Stellar so, yeah. performance. After mm-hmm. that was Black Adam with a measly $8 million, bringing its domestic total to 150 What are your thoughts on that, Ryan, since that was a repick for you? It was a little sad that it wasn't able to do a lot better. I mean, certainly it was never going to match Wakanda Forever, but if it would have at least given it a run for its money, that would have been fantastic. It has already been beaten. It's worldwide total. It's been beaten by Wakanda Forever's worldwide total, so that's a shame. But, yeah, I mean, it held up pretty well in this uh, weekend. The floor didn't entirely drop out from it, so hopefully it'll continue to grow and 
it might be able to, as it's total, hit Wakanda Forever's uh, opening weekend growth, which is tragic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as long as they can get around there, 170, 180 million domestic, mm-hmm. I'll, be, I'll be okay. Yep. Now I've got some numbers for you. Uh, I'm currently sitting at about 3.3 billion for our box office drafts, and I'm expected to hit a little under 4 billion, maybe like 3.8, 3.9 by the end of my run. You are currently sitting at a little over 2 billion. Right. With two movies left to go. Do you feel confident that you can surpass me? I do. It's funny that you did the math because I was doing that the other day too when Wakanda Forever was opening up. And so, and I, it's not going to hit a billion, I don't think, but I think I, my calculations generously gave it to you. I think, yeah, it came out to like 3.934 or something like that was what you had. And I think set four Avatar is getting 1.5 billion, undoubtedly. Yeah, it's China. Well, yeah. And I'm saying that one, I was like, okay, if this gets 300 million and then uh, Avatar gets like 1.7 or 1.8, I think that allowed me to win. So, and I think Avatar will do better. I think it'll hit 2 billion. Um, So, yeah, I am still confident. I'm hanging in there. It's not like I am completely demoralized because I still got the big one to come. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm kind of Yeah, with the other two. How about you? Are you feeling confident? Do you think that you can hold on to that lead? I feel more or less confident. I'm not confident in pushing boots in the slightest. <laughs> it's coming out the same time as Avatar, so I think it's just going to get demolished at the box office. I think they it's going to get trampled coexist. on. They can no, I think they're going to stomp it out. I think pushing boots is going to disappear into the dust. I don't think they spend enough on advertising. I don't think the audience isn't there enough for it. I think it's going to get absolutely destroyed. In the same way that Lightyear got destroyed. Well, hopefully not. But I mean, as long as it does better than Lightyear, which it needs to do, um, it'll still put me in a good enough position that Avatar can bring me home for the rest I'm of the world. I'm also not as confident about Avatar. But I, I think Bill easy. I think 1.2 Bill maybe. I think 1.5 Bill is what you need to win. And I think that might be a stretch, but we'll see. That is insane. You're coping so hard right now. 1.5 billion, you think that's the max that it can get? Yeah, I think 1.2, 1.3 is more realistic. No, no way. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I think it's got it in the bag. But okay, next we have Ticket to Paradise. Not our top 10 list. 5.9 million. Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile with 3.2 million. Smile with 2.3 million. Pray for the Devil, 1.9 million. The Banshees of Inisherin, 1.6 million. The One Piece film Red, 1.4 million. Till coming in under 1 million with 607,000. And Tar coming in below that at 383,000. Yeah, and so Wakanda Forever sucked up all the oxygen at the box office before. <laughs> so you hate to see, you know, the bottom uh, films in the top 10 getting less than 1 million, but. At least it was still a big overall weekend for the the box yeah. office. Yeah. Let's do our box office predictions for November 18th to November 20th. That's this upcoming weekend. First things first, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Second weekend. What do you got, Ryan? What do you think? What are you feeling? I'm thinking around 70 million in May. All below 
into the 60 million range. What do you I think a little closer to 80. Really? You think I'm feeling have a confident. solid hold? Yeah, the first Black Panther had a 47% hold, and I don't think it'll do that well. But I think it will do better than the earlier Marvel movies, which had like a 67% hold earlier this year. Mm -hmm. So I think it will do better than that. So I think somewhere in between that range. So I'm feeling like 75 to 80 mil. Gotcha. Which is pretty close to what you said. Yeah. I'm thinking 72 million. Uh, 73 million. <laughs> well, that's below we'll your range that you had. So Fuck. <laughs> uh, after that, the menu is also hitting theaters. What do you think this one will get? Can I get the double-digit opening? I was going to say 10. 10. I think 10's fair. It's got Ray Fiennes. It's got Anya Taylor-Joy. Mm. I've been seen, seeing, seen some ads for it. Yeah, I've been seeing quite a bit of ads for it. And they are playing it quite a bit more than I thought. Like, I checked the Regal Showtimes earlier. And so it is in quite a bit of theater. So maybe that will push it over. Um, yeah, I'll say high eight to nine million, maybe. Maybe it can crack 10 million. I'm not too sure, but yeah. 50 million dollars. <laughs> would be marvelous, bro. We have She Said as well, hitting theaters. This one, again, six million. Yeah, I was going to say six, six and a half. Yeah. Okay, all, right. all right. Now we can talk about the movie. That we were discussing Black Panther Wakanda forever. The first, just to backtrack and talk a little bit about Black Panther 2018, which was, of course, a huge worldwide phenomenon, absolutely phenomenal at the box office, again, getting 700 million domestic, which was insane, the 200 million opening, which was also insane. So it really struck a nerve in the cultural consciousness. Now, with about four years removed from that, what are your thoughts in hindsight of Black Panther? Uh, I still really like it. I still think it's a really good movie. I don't think... I understand its importance, but I was a little flabbergasted at some of the Oscars it was nominated for, like Best Picture. I thought that was a bit of a stretch. Mm. I do think it's great. I do have a good time watching it. I don't think it's my favorite Marvel movie, I don't think it's an absolute tour de force of filmmaking, but I think it's really good. And I think the story is really good. I think the points they're trying to make culturally are really good. And I think the philosophy that they're arguing is really good. And so I enjoy it. But it's not like flawless or anything. It's still a Marvel movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When was the last time you saw it? Oh, maybe like a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. Gotcha. Yeah, I saw it earlier. This year, a couple months ago, at an outdoor screening that the NCN was go? having. Um, you know, it was a little touch and go there, waiting for the sun to go down and for it to go completely dark. They started before the sunset? Well, they had it up just to see if it would be visible, and of course it was not. And so yeah. we were just waiting until the sun would go down. But the time Why that we were they... meant to show up was a little bit before then. But also the projector itself wasn't, I think... It was that a low quality projector. Powerful, yeah. It, Why would they think it that wasn't it would work? that right? Well, I mean, they just put it up just to see because obviously they weren't going to like start playing the movie until. But it was just interesting that they did have it up and they were like there were images up there, but you just absolutely couldn't see it until it got way darker. And then, you know, at a certain point, they had to be like, okay, we'll start, even though there's a little bit of light that was still on the horizon. But 
overall, it didn't detract from the experience too much. Good. The uh, movie, I thought, does come across really strong. I agree with you that, like, because of the importance that it had, um, and just having that representation at such a big budget, uh, which had never been done before, and it succeeding so well, like being a genuinely good movie, and then all of that uh, context around it helped to elevate it, and then of course propelled it, as you said, to like some record-breaking uh, records or some like nominations at the Oscars, and then it won quite a bit, like it won three. I think yeah, two or that three. sounds about right. I know it won music and costumes, which I think it deserved those. Yeah, so yeah, an amazing run for that film. Um, yeah, I do remember being like, it's really good, but was it, yeah, like best picture nomination worthy? Um, going back now, I think it's fair to, I think there should be at least one populist movie in the nomination, especially now that they've like made it 10. You're so, just saying that because you want Top Gun to get nominated. Well, I think Top Gun should be nominated anyway, regardless of the popular thing. But yeah, I think, I think generally, yeah, having one movie that did really well at the box office and just connected with uh, such a wide audience, I think that should be recognized. So, even though, yeah, it's not like as you said, a tour de force of filmmaking, it was such a huge step forward. It really is a landmark movie in, uh, you know, broad popular cinema so i think i think it was worthy of getting that and then Absolutely. the film itself like it held up really well as you said i think it does a great job of like within the marvel world it actually brought in real world elements of our own world and our society and the politics that have you know characterized our societies and our world and so bringing that in having that yeah, basically philosophical debate of how do we deal with all the transgressions that have happened to black people and specifically black Americans with the Killmonger character. It was refreshing to see like substance in a Marvel movie. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that is part of what really elevates it as well because it does have that time to appeal where it's not relying on just the action that might age poorly with the CGI, which for Black Panther does, especially with the third act stuff. Um, but you oh, get yeah. a very good cast, great performances, and then, again, true substance in the theme and the subject matter of what it's exploring. So, yeah, and then plus on top of that, the music, the costumes, the production design, all that stuff was really incredible. There was a lot of care and love poured into that. So, yeah. yeah. So, with that said, what were your expectations and hopes, fears, perhaps, going into Wakanda Forever? Or obviously, after the tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman, we knew that they weren't going to recast T'Challa, and we were going to have a film that dealt with T'Challa's death in the story world. I was definitely worried with how they were going to go about it, and I... We'll get into it, but I will say didn't quite meet my expectations and hopes in some ways, but did in others. Uh, I was hoping that they were going to dig more into like how the death of the king affects the society as a whole. This mm -hmm. whole nation, how it affects them. And it was really about how it affects the family and specifically 
the queen and Shuri and even more specifically Shuri for the most part. Right. And that's, that's like, it's all, it's good. It still does well as a character piece to see how they grieve as a family, as the two of them and how they deal with that and the stress of trying to run this nation. But I did want to see more of like how the nation itself comes into quarrel with itself. Like, like, like if the king dies within the nation, would there be problems within the nation? And I feel like if they had done more of like the nation is sort of falling apart in itself, then when Namor attacks, it's like he's he's hitting a crack in a, in a, in a strong shield and it breaks it down even harder. And I feel like that would have been a better landing to stick, but I'm still satisfied with the route they took. I'm glad with how much detail they went into with investigating Shuri's like grief and how she's dealing with it and the struggle with accepting loss. Cause that's always something that I'm fascinated with is when movies talk about how to accept death, accepting your own death, accepting others death. I think that's something that intrigues me. And so I was intrigued going into this seeing how they were going to do it. I don't think it was flawless. But I think it hit a lot of important points. I think it had a good conclusion. Yeah, yeah. I was feeling somewhat the same way going into it, where like way earlier in the year, which is reflected in our box office draft. I think it mentioned as well of like I don't know if it because of just the shock of his death and then them having to change everything around. Like they had to switch, obviously the main character in the story and then build everything around the absence of the main character of this film in this franchise i didn't know if they were going to be able to do that in a way where whatever they had wanted to do originally could mesh well with what they had to do in order to address the real life um, situation that occurred that is now affecting the film mm-hmm. i didn't know if they were going to be able to pull it off in such a short amount of time because, I mean, it was a pretty quick turnaround. Like, they were going to go into filming not too many months after Bozeman had passed, I believe. They already had, like, the script done. They were in pre-production. So, like, they were already off to the races when that happened. And so I was like, were they going to be able to pivot well enough? And then with COVID, they were filming during that. And then there was, of course, all the controversy with the teacher right glaciery so all of that stuff was like added pressure and i was wondering okay are the it's a lot of circumstances that they're having to face it's already difficult enough to make a film certainly i would say difficult to make a film that has to fit in with the whole marvel machine and just all the expenses that are going into that and all the studio mandates and management going into it all that's enough, uh, a lot already, but then to pile on the real world tragedy that all these people are facing, and then all those other controversies, there's a lot. But the teaser trailer, it won me over. I was excited oh, yeah. for it. I thought it was a brilliant showcase of both the, the grieving that we would see, which also was something that interested me of like taking this opportunity to, in the story world, give us a vessel for coming to terms with the death of someone that was for so many people so important like Chadwick Boseman 
is a great actor. And he also took on the role of Black Panther um, with a lot of joy and a lot of heart. He loved doing it. So him being a hero to so many people and then him in the story world being the king, also being the protector, becoming that hero for all the people within there as well. It's an interesting parallel to have. And that's part of what movies are, right? Is us being able to understand ourselves and the world around us. And so us having that immediate buy-in already of we are grieving the loss of Chadwick Boseman. These characters are grieving the loss of T'Challa and whatever grieving process they go through will allow us to feel all those feelings and hopefully by the end come to that point of acceptance and truly being okay with what has now happened, like what the current circumstances are. So that was exciting to me because I mean, Googler, I think, is really talented yeah. as a director and bringing in those, like, in those real world themes and ideas. And so to base the film around that powerful emotion that the audience already is carrying into the film, that all the characters will be exploring within it. I was excited for that going in. And I do think the strongest parts of the film are the tributes to T'Challa, to Chadwick Boseman, and the grief that each of the characters are feeling, mm-hmm. which, as you said, are mainly like the Ramonda and Churi characters. Um, and I sort of agree with you. I hadn't thought about that going in, but seeing how the nation outside of that opening scene where we see the big funeral going on and you know their uh the festivities where everyone is dancing that i did like a lot and yeah. i agree i think it would have been interesting to explore more of how the loss of a king to this uh society especially when you know that game was so important helped to open up wakanda to the world and then now suddenly is gone it would be interesting to explore more of mm-hmm. the different reactions to that and how some people may try to capitalize on that. But I suppose there's already a lot in this film. It's already quite yeah. a long film. So yeah, I think that may have been another thing that would overstuff it if they tried to put it in. But it would have been an interesting route. Um, but I think what they do focus on, like the characters that are grieving that we do get to spend time with, I think that is by far like the best part of the film. I think it worked beautifully. They nailed it. Mm-hmm. All right. So, yeah. We can talk about... So I'm interested in uh, the, the opening and the Marvel logo, how they changed that. You mentioned I think the other episode, or when we were just talking, that the first couple minutes, everyone was still shuffling in yeah. to the theaters. So by the time the logo opening happened was everything settled down or were people still walking around trying to find their seats they settled down by the time the logo started going through which is good gotcha. was it completely silent in the it theater? was completely silent nice awesome same same here i mean i went on like a tuesday night very late uh and not have max so it wasn't that packed but the people that we did have in there yeah no popcorn was getting thrown into the mouth during that um really moving tribute so that's super cool uh, yeah so we'll just go through talk about some of the major elements of the film our thoughts on them it will be spoiler filled so if you haven't seen it yet go and watch it but yeah so the stuff with united nations versus wakanda trying to 
keep the vibranium from them now that they've come out as this world superpower with a very precious resource. And everyone's trying to get their hands on it. I think this plot point of like everyone trying to get after the vibranium mm-hmm. and then the uh, revelation that Talukan also has vibranium and that Namor wants to ally with Wakanda so that each of them can protect the most precious resource they have that they know other world powers are going to start going after as much as they can. I think that approach to it was super interesting. Like, I love the parallel that they have of them obviously having this fictional precious material, but that's part of the real-world sociopolitical circumstances that uh, this film was able to comment on of obviously a history of colonizer nations going in and taking resources, plundering the land and you know, destroying the people while they're at it. And obviously that happened in Africa, happened in um, the Americas. So I really do think that part of it is another just smart approach to make this feel like, okay, it's not just a bunch of superheroes going around with crazy powers. There is some sort of real world substance that we can look at and examine. And I think it's nice. I enjoy that yeah. they do it. Yeah, I think it's interesting to to compare those two struggles of being so similar. Of like trying to protect that resource from invaders. Also, what a cool way to introduce the Dormelage. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. I mean, we saw it in the teaser trailer as well, which was a great shot in there. And I was like, nice. I mean, it was seeing it again on the big screen. Mm. So beautiful. A lot of the shots and cinematography in this film are on point. For sure. For sure. In this film, we have the introduction of Riri Williams, who will go on to be the central character in Iron Heart, the Disney Plus series. So I think it is also a smart option that they would introduce her here, give her sort of a launching pad. Um, maybe attract more people to that series. I am interested, though, based on what you've seen here, are you at all interested in Ironheart the show or more inclined to watch it? Mid. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm not inclined to watch any of the Disney Plus Marvel shows anymore, but if I hear good things, maybe I'll check it out. The same thing with the Star Wars show. Like, I did not want to watch Andor until I heard great things about it, and now I've watched all of it, and it's great. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, put a pin in that. You know, I will talk after the show about it. Um, but yeah, I think I think it was, again, it was a smart choice to include her in if you're already going to have her in a series later on. Yeah. So that way a broader audience can see her and then now they're attracted to it. And Give I her a soft was... opening here and then and then really introduce her in Ironheart. I agree. Exactly. It was, a, it, was a, it was a smart move. Yeah, which I mean, they've done before, like for Black Panther, for instance, yeah. in Civil War. So I think it was smart to do that. Her presence, it's not like it detracted anything at all. I did enjoy um, in the beginning when they were trying to initially get her out, and then they go to her warehouse, mm-hmm. and they have all that banter there. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Later on in the film, she becomes, she sort of falls away and then comes back at the yeah. very end in a certain way, and I'm not sure that entirely delivered. This kind of expected, uh, kind of, a little bit. Exactly, yeah. So, um, ultimately, yeah, I'm not like in love and already going to go and watch Ironheart. But yeah, I thought it was a 
interesting character to bring in. I also do think the parallels of like her and Shuri, both of them being these like extremely intelligent tech wizards, and then them sort of becoming friends over this. I did think that was a nice uh, relationship. Um, yeah. And so going forward, it seems like yeah, they're going to have that connection. So I think that part is interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I really like the uh, the car chase that they have afterward. I thought it was really well done. I thought it was really cool. I thought it ended really quick. And I know they only got so much time. It's already two hours and 40 minutes. But I would not have been too upset to cut out some of the banter in the earlier scenes, like the humorous banter. I do agree with that in the earlier scenes. chase a little quicker and then let us watch that car chase a little bit more because it was really well done and it was really cool. Like they upped the action in this movie, I think, from the first one pretty strongly. Yeah, I do think... Yeah, when they're in the apartment, I think that banter, I don't know if that landed entirely, although I do like the one line right before they cut away, because she's holding up like the little heater thing, and then Okoye just goes like, you with your hita. I was like, that's pretty funny. Um, that, yeah, I think that could have been trimmed down, and then could have had more of that actual chase. Um, but yeah, I do like all the stuff that was going down in the warehouse. I thought that was really strong. And then... In terms of the bridge fight, once that car chase has ended, and then the um, Talocons show up, and they try and take away uh, Raymond Williams. Mm-hmm. I thought the battle between Okoye and those three people were cool. Yeah. I thought that worked well, and then also with, I forget his name, but then the big dude. Um, yeah. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought when the lady went to go kill the cops because they're witnesses and the cop goes, is that lady blue? And then she just kills them. I thought that was pretty funny. Right. Here's the thing, though. Them being blue. I don't know if I'm yeah. that big a fan of it. I yeah, think I get it. a cool idea that they're like, oh, they're blue in the surface and then underwater, they're just their regular skin tone. But I don't know, man. I thought the blue was a little much. Also, especially coming out right next to Avatar, very water-based. Disney, none of them wanted to be like. Mm-hmm. I think they are the same shade of blue as the water race in Avatar too, like the same <laughs> shade of like aqua blue. Actually, I don't think that's true because they're teal. They're more teal in the Avatar thing. The water. Uh, you think they're more teal? Yes, for sure, hundred percent. You'll see. We're gonna let's get a side by side. Let's. <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah, they're more teal. The like coastal communities in the in Pandora. Yeah, they're yeah, more we'll, teal. We'll see when we watch the movie. Okay, well, you'll have to, in that episode, though, you're going to have to issue a retraction of your statement here. I, I'm going to pull the side. Shade. When they come out, I'm going to do a side-by-side, and I'm going to email it to you <laughs> to prove that they are the same shade. We'll see, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I, it's like a cool idea, but I don't know, them being blue, again, it's just like too similar, especially when Avatar is coming out. And then I also don't know what the exact explanation would be or why whatever herb they took would turn them blue. But then underwater, they're not. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. It's like a cool idea, but I don't know if it entirely works. It felt a little goofy as well, seeing them be blue running around. Another question I had with this scene was earlier when they attacked the, uh, the detector, the vibranium detector, they were using this sort of sonic power to hypnotize them. They don't do that here. They do it later in the Wakanda fight, but then they don't bring it back again. What was this power? Why do they also have like this sonic 
hypnotizing powers? Was it meant to be like a reference to like sirens and that I sort of thing? I think it was a reference to sirens. I don't know. Maybe it's in the comics. I have no idea. Yeah. Again, cool idea. Like that's an interesting thing, but I don't think they utilize it enough or explain it at all to make it really work. Yeah. And it just sort of presents an issue of like, okay, so they send like a spear to hit um, here. First they like blow up the cars, but then they like hit a spear in Riri and then try and pull her out. Why didn't they just do the sonic hypnotizing power on them? That's a good question. So that they could just come in and scoop her up and then leave. And then the other thing was after the big dude is told by Namora that she's going to go kill those cops, she's like, oh, kill her. He's going to go do that. He's got the spear out. He's about to stab, and Okoye stops it. So they were planning on killing Riri here, mm-hmm. here and now. When they defeat Okoye, she gets sent overboard because of a water bomb. Shuri wakes up, and then she's saying, hey, 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 take me to Namor or Talokan. Um, and then they're like, okay, we'll do that. And then they put the little thing on her, and then they scoop her up and Riri to go to Talokan. Don't understand the logic of them suddenly being like, okay, yeah, we'll just kidnap Shuri and bring her with us, even though that didn't seem to be their initial mission. Yeah. Why are they not still killing Riri? That was their initial mission. If it was later for Namor to be like, hey, let's work together and you know fight against mm-hmm. all these people that will start coming after our, the resource we share. Yeah. Why did? He send people to kill Riri as they were extracting her instead of just, you know, letting them take Riri if they wanted to and then reaching out that to That probably would have been better if they showed up and were trying to take both of them back initially. Like, if that was the initial plan was to just right. take both of them. Exactly, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, they initially start out saying they want to kill Riri, but then they don't follow through with that, bring them both to Talokan. And then Namor is still like asking Shuri's permission. Yeah. It's like the writers are doing Riri. extra work when they don't need to be. Exactly. So that was one sort of contrivance that, yeah. like, as it was happening in the theaters, it stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Usually, Here's I don't, what I don't to, get. Go ahead. Here's what I don't get. They have gills, right, in order to breathe oxygen through the water, correct? Yeah. So they cannot breathe on the land, correct? Sure. So what is the yeah. point of the mouthpieces on their face? <laughs> shouldn't they have something around their gills that is filled with water continuously that provides them with the oxygen from the water did they have gills specifically did we see that they had gills yeah i saw gills Uh, like on their neck like on their Mm. shoulders along their shoulders Mm. so they do have gills yeah i'm not sure again it was a cool thing of having like and then and then point two point two if that mouthpiece is filled with water why did they take it off and then give it to shuri that's also that true. Yeah, I noticed that too. They like took it off, and you would think something's going on. Well, the water came out of the mouthpiece, and then he put it on her. So apparently, it can double as like giving them oxygen when it's just well, then why would they need also that? an oxygen mask. Why would they invent it to also be an oxygen mask when they don't need that? Great question. Again, that's one of those things where it just isn't thought through too much. And usually, yeah, I don't like to point out. It's like if I invented pants with a third leg in case I ever <laughs> in, in case I ever encounter a creature that has three legs. In these pants, just right. in case. True. I mean, I guess it does make more sense in this world because they know there are people that do breathe air. And so they'd be like, oh, maybe if we ever need to capture one, we can 
make it double as an oxygen mask for them. Um, but it is, yeah, it's like such an outside possibility that they would ever need that. that it's kind of strange and distracting when they do that. Um, so yeah, I feel like there were just a lot of cooler ways to a have them breathe outside of water and breathe and b have Shuri breathe underwater. I feel like there could have been cooler ways to do that where you could have played around with the CGI to make it look cool. And then they just didn't do it. And then because the mask was just easier, they take off mask and then put mask on her. Very true. And I'm like, all right, I guess, but <laughs> that paired with everything you said about the plots, just felt like very shortcutty by the end of that bridge fight. For sure. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Namor and Talokan. What did you think of this? Clearly they were trying to, do a spin on Atlantis. So we didn't mm. want to make it seem too similar to Aquaman, which just came out. And also it did look Atlantis. distinctly different. It I did. Yeah. Um, and then obviously yeah, they're taking after, you know, this Mayan mm. culture, Mayan Mexican culture. So I think that approach to it as well. Again, they had a specific purpose for it. Like they didn't just do it to have like dressing on the underwater city. So it doesn't look exactly like Atlantis as we've seen it in other films. Mm -hmm. there was a purpose for it so i like that they did that and then yeah they use that to give namor a distinct look like he's different namor from how he cool is in the his comics big, his big headdress i Lip agree sync. yeah i thought that was super cool um so i like the direction i took with that i like a lot of the like with the cave specifically the production design that they had there i thought worked really well i will say as we are going through that sequence where he's bringing Shuri through the city, and we're supposed to be feeling the same wonder that she is of seeing this amazing underwater city. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I felt that wonder. Yeah, it didn't really either. hit. It was not a sense of wonder. It was more like, oh, it kind of looked cool. Right. I think a part of it was that they were deep undersea, and then the people who did the CGI were like, if they're deep undersea, it's got to be pretty dark. And so they made everything very, very dark until you see that, like, whatever orb is supposed to be portraying the sun show up and give them light. So right. it's intentionally very, very dark and hard to see, which is, it does not help with the idea that we're supposed to be seeing wonder. Yeah. And also, Shuri yeah. looked ridiculous in that giant suit. Also true. Yeah, they could have done suit. something else there. I'll just give her yeah. yeah, more of a, like a skin tight suit that has a mask over it. And then she's well, able I get to the like, idea of like, and swim. I, I get the idea of like the I science behind she would be thing. crushed yeah. under the pressure. And I'm like, I get it. But also she, when she goes into like the, the speed tube and she's like floating around like this, <laughs> she just kind of looks a little funky. Because the suit doesn't move. The suit's static. So it's just one big human sized suit just moving around in one solid motion and i'm like you could have just made up a, a magic technology that would have saved it from the pressure exactly i mean you already have vibranium stuff suit. just yeah. say oh we have this vibranium suit that resists hey there you go the yeah you tell me That's the black panther suit couldn't do it exactly yeah so they could have gotten around it but yeah the overall i think approach to telecon worked but yeah the yeah showcase of Talicon is this beautiful, amazing underwater civilization. I don't think it landed in the same way that they were maybe hoping it would. I agree. Yeah. Anything else about Namor, his character, his philosophy, his city that you want to bring up? Anything? I like all the stuff they did with the background. 
I thought it was cool, the flashback stuff. And then when they tie that in later in their fight is really cool. Mm-hmm. But we'll get there. Um, I understand what his motivations are. But I don't think... They don't feel as, like, strong. And the conviction doesn't feel as strong as, like, Killmongers in the first Black Panther. Right. Because they're similar ideas of, like, we should attack first. We should strike first. For different reasons. <laughs> and I feel like the conviction was stronger with Killmonger. He was willing to do anything to to carry this out. I feel like Namor is definitely more, like, willing to negotiate, but will still stand his ground and is hard to convince otherwise. And so you beat the shit out of him, I guess. <laughs> but, like, right. I don't know. I just... It didn't feel 100% solid or as threatening, I suppose. But it was still there. It was still good. I, I think he's a good performer. I think he did yeah. good in the role. I think he did really good. I think so, too. Yeah. I would agree that the the way that they characterize him, which is not as radical, maybe, as Killmonger. Like he was yeah. certainly heavily dedicated to what he thought was right and was going <laughs> to execute that vision. Um, Namor, again, is doing a similar thing. Like, okay, we're going to attack the world. Obviously, not good. So it's like a villainous plan, but his reasons for it, I'm doing that preemptive strike so he can prevent his resources and then by extension his people from getting taken advantage of. That does make sense, but again, the way he's going about it, since he, as you said, like he seems willing to negotiate, he seems like reasonable in that sense, but then also he's so bloodthirsty to be like, no, we're going to... It was a little bit jarring. Exactly, because he's like, ah, oh, we're going to attack the whole world, and then also we're going to attack Wakanda first because they're not helping us attack the whole world. And it's like, yeah, it felt like a stretch to make the point land that he's going to attack Wakanda. Right, exactly. And then it also, I don't know why he was so committed to killing Riri Williams, like the scientist that came up with the vibranium detector, when he also knows. Like, that is Wakanda's issue at this present moment, is the idea of them just killing Riri Williams because she's just some innocent girl that her technology got used for that purpose. Which also, again, when that technology, regardless if she's alive or not, that technology is already there. So they'd be able to produce more of it. But anyway, they they just don't want her to get killed as an innocent person. I don't know why Namor was so committed to, like, oh, this person has to die. If you were trying to create that ally alliance with... Wakanda, all you do is just, okay, you guys can take her to your city and then just like put her to work using vibranium and whatnot to build up our defenses so our people together can fight against the rest of the world if they do come against our our resources. And that's what they would have done, but then obviously you don't have a movie in the final fight. So they yeah. were trying to stretch this idea of, oh, he's going to try and kill Riri, and he's saying, like, it's you join us or we attack you first and yeah which is also just a stretch yeah it is a little bit of a stretch so i do like that the way the actual conflict does begin where um nakia comes in and rescues them to river and shuri and then in the process kills a few of the telekins and then that is what like sets namor off to actually attack that makes sense because that's sort of that thing like oh the accidental or you know the casualties that happen um, when something else is going on ultimately triggers the war 
that makes sense mm-hmm. of bringing that conflict together yeah. but before that part where they're already establishing like Namor would attack Wakanda regardless if they just don't heed his demands. That part I was like, okay, that's a bit of a stretch. They could have just had it be like once they were attacked and he feels betrayed by Wakanda, he's like, my people have just been killed, so maybe they will side with the rest of the world against us. Now I need to preemptively attack them first to make sure they don't get stronger or reveal our existence. I feel like that would have been a better approach to his character instead of him already being so set on the idea of Wakanda will yeah. fall first if they do not join us. They, he really didn't even didn't make that plot point. You could have skipped that part and then had Nikia come in and accidentally kill a few of the Talakonians, Talakonians, and and in that process of like accidentally killing them, set off the chain of events that is the war. Like you could have just skipped his threats completely. You don't need him to verbalize that when the action of killing your people is enough to start a war in itself in the real world and in this fictional world. Right. It just felt like he was threatening something that didn't make complete sense at the time and then wound up making sense after an action. And it's like you were setting something up that didn't need to be set up. Exactly. Um, so yeah, we have after... It that, feels like a continuous threat is that the writers are doing too much work trying to explain things. They're like also not enough at the same time. <laughs> Where they're taking shortcuts at certain places, and then other places they were, yeah, they just wanted to set up the idea of, okay, Namor would attack, like he would go this far. But it's like, yeah, you don't need to. We should have figured that. that already. You know, we've yeah. already seen how violent they are, we've already seen how willing they are to attack, and killing their people, even by accident, is a declaration of war in, in many places. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. You didn't need to give an ultimatum in that way. So. Uh, I think one of the best scenes of the film is Ramonda and Okoye. Since Okoye was with Shuri, I convinced Ramonda to let Shuri come with her in the mission to extract Riri. But then, of course, Shuri was kidnapped, so now Okoye is brought, before, brought forth before the queen and the whole council there. And the Ramonda goes off on her. And Angela Bassett is going... Just an amazing acting showcase right there. 100%. Yeah, it was fantastic. And I was wondering, because I was thinking as the scene was about to begin, I was like, okay, so many other friends and they have that connection. But I was like, in any real situation, if the only daughter that, or the only child that Ramonda has left just got kidnapped and Okoye was the one protecting her, Okoye would be out. She'd be getting kicked out. And in most like actual um, societies like that probably would have been killed, beheaded, but at the least, yeah, certainly exiled. And so I was pleasantly surprised when they actually went with that and had her chew Okoye out and say, you were done, you were not going to be general anymore, you're out of the Dora Milaje. And then Denai Guerrera as Okoye, also great acting from her as she plants that spear, tears streaming down her face, and then leaves knowing that, like, she also feels all that shame, and she knows she failed, but she wants to go and make it right, and she can't. And that is good stuff, right? There. Yeah. Absolutely. And we get to go meet Nakia. She's back. Yeah, that is amazing as well. Love Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah, Love her in this role. Amazing. Love Nakia being a super spy. It's just, it's amazing. So yeah, it's she's, awesome. 
She's been in Haiti for like six years at this point. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, she's being brought in to help rescue Shuri. And she goes into that. Again, it was a shot in the trailer, but it still worked really well in the film of her at the beachside waiting to like get to go ahead to go to the underwater city and extract Shuri. I think all of that worked really well. Um, but yeah, that's just because I like Nikia and I like Lupita Nyong'o. Um, so I glad love to Nyong'o. have her involved. Yeah. So I'm then, glad that she, has, she got to have such an active role in the movie. Me too, for sure. And then we have the attack on Wakanda. So they start flooding it. They're attacking. We get to see Namor flying about. Mm-hmm. To see, I did mention Mbaku's reaction gift, where he was yeah. under underwater and then saw, I think it was the whales coming through or something like that. And then he goes like, oh, that was a little ridiculous. But I think overall, the the attack outside of what happens at the throne room, mm-hmm. I'm not sure I was that thrilled by it. Uh, except for Namor flying around and like taking down that one ship. I thought that was pretty but I thought it was that, well made. I thought it was well done. I just didn't think the stakes were there because I don't see anybody dying. I mean, it's a Marvel movie. You can't show too many graphic things, but you don't really see like the actual threat to the people. You just see water going everywhere. And it's like nobody's really getting hurt. Nobody's really dying from what I can see. Mm-hmm. So the stakes really aren't there. You're just implying that people are getting hurt and are dying, but I'm not really seeing it. I'm just seeing water flood through almost empty streets. Right. And I would rather see like the stakes of like how scary that is. Seeing people like trapped in their houses as, as it, the water fills it up and floods in and like right. the bombs going off in the streets and knocking people down. Like go for it. If you're going to go for it, go for it. If he's really going to attack Wakanda and it's going to cause serious damage, go for it. Right. Exactly. Um, and then... He shows up at the throne room, tries to strike at Ramonda, and then throws a bunch of bombs in there at her and Riri. And then, ultimately, Ramonda dies saving Riri. She drowns. So, I really don't like this decision. I think it, honestly, it, you already have a film centered around grief and mourning the loss of T'Challa and Shuri dealing with that. I don't know what is gained by having Ramonda die and then once again it's just her grieving it does change a bit because now she's vengeful and she wants to like kill uh, Namor and mm-hmm. take him down and take down uh, his people and like actually go to war and then, then she'll have to overcome that but mm-hmm. that this is one of those things where it feels like a holdover from what they originally had and they just decided to keep it in here because they needed that element of what the original arc was for T'Challa. And then now they're just going to put it on Shuri. And so her mother dies and then she becomes angry and vengeful and wants to kill Namor. And I just, I don't think we needed Ramonda to die for that to happen. I think she could have been angered enough at the attack on her people. Could have just had to be maybe some other person, like if there was someone in Dora Milaje that uh, we see her interacting with a bit, and then that person dies, um, or just someone from like her tech crew, something like that. 
you can show a connection with one of them and have them die. But to have another leader of Wakanda, which goes to your point about like how would Wakanda feel? Another person dies. Yeah. And this is the third in like six or seven years. I wouldn't have minded. So yeah, it's been. I would so not have deaths. minded Queen Ramonda dying if they had shown more of like how that affects the society. Like losing two leaders back to back like that in such horrible ways. I mean, it has to have like just a earth shatteringly depressive effect on the society to where they don't even want to be in Wakanda anymore. They just want to leave. Right. If they had had people like leaving and like like entire communities like you know how they have the, like the the tribes if entire tribes started leaving or like one of them left because they just didn't want to be there anymore because they just didn't have faith in wakanda like having that sort of pressure putting that on shuri on top of everything else maybe would have made it a more believable that she'd want vengeance and want to be want to have like the strong fist as a leader and be more intriguing and more interesting instead of like because the initial reaction, it seemed like when Namor attacked, is that it brought everybody closer together. And I'm like, I don't know if that's really what would happen in a society. Having taken that many losses back to back, I feel like it would start to splinter. Right. Which would be an interesting thing to go into if, as part of assuming this new leadership mm-hmm. position, she would have to try and wrangle these people back together yeah. and unite them. And then it'd be interesting to do to see her like maybe doing that with uh, that vengeful purpose. And so, yeah. yeah. And then they're talking about, well, how sustainable is this going to be? Well, once we go to war and kill them and do all this, we'll still have suffered all those losses. We'll suffer even more losses. Will we be able to stay together as a yeah. nation? And then, yeah, her dealing with, okay, so maybe this isn't the right approach or is it, or should I keep doing it? Because I just personally for myself want the vengeance. And then I don't care what, becomes of my nation as I go on that mission. That would be interesting stuff to delve into. But then again, it's like this is already such a long movie with so much yeah. going on in it. Um, it'd be tough to add that extra, la- that extra layer, which is why I'm thinking maybe they shouldn't have killed Ramonda, put in a coma. She's out of the question, so she's not in like the rest of the film, but still it's the idea of, wow, he tried to kill my mother. He killed people, um, people that I knew, people that I loved, and almost took away the only family I had left. I yeah. want to take him down. That, I feel like you would still have a good enough reason if you wanted to go to down the line of Cherry being very vengeful. So, yeah, I don't know. I did. That really disconnected from that Ramonda death. And then also because like the film is bookmarked by... T'Challa's death and the tributes to Chadwick Boseman. And so obviously it's just going to be more impactful us dealing with and the characters dealing with the grief around him yeah. as compared to Ramonda, who we know. It seems odd to throw Ramonda's death in there when it's not what we're going to be focusing on. Exactly, yeah. And so it overshadows her death. It makes that feel less meaningful. Um, and it's like you already had, you already had, it. like you can't up the ante any more than the actual actor passing away beforehand and being phenomenal, being beloved, and then that being mirrored by how the character in the story world is felt about by all these characters and his people. So why would you just add another death on top of it? I don't know. It didn't really work for me. Um, let's do a side note and talk about <laughs> white people in the film. 
why why were they in it i get some elements of like everett ross being the like uh point person they talk to like informer in the ca i think that i don't yeah i don't have a problem with okay. everett ross being in it i think I it's fine with but julia louis dreyfus did not need to be in this movie other than they just want to beef up her character yeah and i'll be honest i'm not a fan of her character yeah i understand. I don't like it they're really gonna do a lot to win me over but every time i see her show up i'm not a fan don't like it so yeah, it just felt weird felt off felt against the tone mm-hmm. in a lot of ways did not enjoy it it felt like it definitely felt like something that was forced onto ryan googler by the studio they're like you have to include this character Absolutely. And the biggest reason I bring it up is because shortly after we have the Ramonda death, then we just have a scene with them in the house and mm-hmm. they're like cracking jokes right afterwards. And it's that tonal whiplash. And I'm like, wow, way to once again undercut the significance of Ramonda's death to us cutting to two characters that are completely unrelated to that, learning about that. But then she's also like doing his wisecracks and then he gets arrested. But that doesn't even matter because then he gets broken out later. I guess he's no longer part of the CIA, and now it means she's taken over, and that'll time with the Thunderbolts, but I don't It's just, it was unnecessary to include as much as they did in this particular film. Um, and again, it's already quite over stuff. I feel like this is something that you definitely could have taken definitely out. could have cut, and then saved more room for more interesting story beats. Oh well. The one thing I will say about these particular characters and how they played in with the overall theme and the subject matter was when he said the line of, did you imagine what the U.S. would do if we had all the vibranium? And she said, oh, I dream of it. I did think that was pretty cool. And yeah, that, sure. Certainly, I think we'll tie into whatever Val with her being in control of the CIA or whatever other government organizations that I guess will create the Thunderbolts what that will do because they also tease towards the end with Namor of the idea of okay there will be people that do come after the vibranium at some point like they're setting that up a lot so i did think that particular line was good i think it wasn't enough to justify the rest of their inclusion though or just how many scenes we got of them but yeah but then finally we have the return of our black panther Indeed. And it's sure. It is sure, which we knew was going to be the case. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we talked about before of, you know, should it be Shuri? But in this film, I mean, yeah, they pointed it to it being her and her being the one that needs to take on the mantle. And also, she's now the queen, I guess. It makes even more sense that she's supposed to be the protector. Um, and so she creates the heart shaped herb in a lab by using. Part of the necklace that Namor gave her that was his mother's, which had vibranium something in it. I don't know. It had whatever they the, just it, it, it. Cool. the same root. Somehow yeah, this, this society also has a very similar root from the vibranium that crashed onto the planet. Sure. And <laughs> one plant is the same as another plant, whatever. Yeah. I think it'd be cool if she also was able to breathe underwater. <laughs> that would be cool. That gave her the. She, gives, she, she just grows gills. <laughs> be amazing. Um, she turns so yeah, blue. They do what they have to do, though, to make it work, to get her a 
uh, of our Jaipur so she can get the power in. When she's in the ancestral plane, also to be expected, she could encounter his Killmonger. And this whole scene I thought was really solid as well. Of him, once again, I mean, even after life, he's still saying he was right. He would still do it all again. And he's uh, basically getting her to do things in his way or the way that he would go about it. Um, and I do like that one line as well of him pointing out, oh, your father was a hypocrite, your brother was so noble, are you going to be like them or are you going to be like me and take care of business? I thought all of that worked really well. I yeah, that was sick. To give her that moral dilemma. Mm-hmm, for sure. Awesome. So yeah, that back and forth was quite effective. And then with the final battle, you know, don't think it was that great either. <laughs> with I didn't the... think I didn't think the battle on the boat was very good. I thought their one on one fight was pretty good. Right. I did like the whole uh, approach to them trying to dry him out, and so getting yeah. him locked into one ship, and then turning on the heaters, and getting him uh, to lose some of his power. I thought that was interesting. Although I, after they crash. And then he's like flying around, so he's still strong enough to be flying around like that and punching her and whatnot. Why didn't he go take a little dip in the ocean real quick? Not sure, but um, I he was too busy wrong. whooping ass. <laughs> Apparently, it's like my man just fly over there, get a little wet, then fly back over and hit another punch. Um, but I do think that approach of Shuri using her intelligence, the thing that you know she is mainly known for the thing that sets her apart. Using that to come up with a way to beat her enemy instead of just, you know, being a fighter, because obviously she's not as experienced in that. I didn't need, I did think that was a good approach to take. But yeah, the boat stuff, I don't think that worked very well at all. With the Wakanda attack and this, I think the like CGI that they were using and the green screen and whatnot was a lot more obvious and took me out a bit more. Uh, I also would say the Ironheart suit. I mean, they did her dirty on this one because, wow, it looks like something out of Voltron or Power Rangers. It did not look like a true, it didn't look real, obviously. It looked very CGI and fake, but it looked so goofy as well. Yeah, not I a fan of that. Nope. The, the Midnight Angel suit as well. Pretty bad. Not great either. <laughs> like especially I don't know like the, the eye hole thing and then they have like the hood with some of the flaps coming off but it's like, like a half hood yeah exactly so and it just makes them have a giant forehead yeah whenever she takes the like whenever the mask comes back and it's still that like outline around the head it looked really off the strange um and so going forward is she just always going to be this I really hope angel not. now that has like basically an Iron Man suit thing it's, I really hope not yeah, I didn't like the direction they took that in. Um, but yeah, so then let's talk about Shuri versus Namor. So of course, yeah, they set up that moral dilemma of is she going to let her vengeance win the day? Is she going to be like Killmonger or is she going to not kill him? I thought when she did the afterburner thing to burn him up, that was crazy. thought that, that worked well. Yeah, Bro, when, when he stabs her through though and she has to like push herself off of it, that's pretty brutal. When she rips off his wing from his ankle, 
Mm-hmm. I thought it was a pretty pretty brutal fight between the two of them. Yeah, I thought the wing that was interesting. The it definitely was. They were building up for it being like a to the death kind of fight. Like they were going for it. For sure. That was cool. Yeah, and then I think so. Her her arc here, and then her choice, which obviously is to spare him, which we knew was going to be the thing that comes up. It's one of those things. It's a hard thing to build up to because we've seen it so often. Like everyone and their mother knows going into the set. She's not going to actually kill him. It's a Marvel movie. They're not going to go that far. But do you set it up enough of why she ultimately doesn't make that choice? For this one, I'm not sure that they do. It just felt... Really? Like half of it, I think, works really well. And the other half doesn't. So they already have made... She's already been talked to by M'Baku about this isn't what your mother wants. This isn't the right thing to do. So she's already sort of gotten that guidance. Has discarded it she's going to war she's bringing her people to war and she's saying we're gonna kill namor like that is her mindset going in she already knows like the fact like she's been told but her emotions are overriding that and she's ready to kill in that fight itself after they've already had that battle like people have been getting killed on both sides like the bloodshed is already there and she's made it happen she Mm -hmm fires the afterburners on him, which again was cool. Probably should have done like, more damage, I would say. But I mean they have charred his back, but I feel like it would have done would have done more. But anyway, so he's powerless now basically. It's her standing over him and then she can do what she wants. But we have I forget the exact order, but the thing that doesn't work is Ramonda showing up and then saying, Remember who you are or whatever. That, yeah. I don't think, works. They tried to set it up earlier of like, oh, I felt uh, T'Challa's hand on my shoulder one day when I was doing like the walk. And, you know, sometimes they can peek through the ancestral plane and be with you. The difference there, though, is like Ramonda was on a spiritual walk where that would happen. She's in the heat of battle. It just doesn't make sense that all of a sudden Ramonda would show up and they play it as if it's like actually Ramonda in the ancestral plane and not just Shuri imagining it, that she would talk to Shuri and say, like, oh, don't do this, basically. That part, I really didn't think worked. I thought it was quite contrived. The other part that I think did work was when they were cross-cutting between yeah, that Wakanda part and Talakan and showing the parallels between them. I thought that worked really well. Yeah. I think the what makes it so hard to stick that landing is that Ramonda is dead, like dead, dead, dead. And he murdered her. And we really want him to die because of that. Like, Killmonger didn't do anything that was that personal. He killed T'Challa, sure, but T'Challa came back. And so we still wanted Killmonger to die, but Namor went for it. Namor went for it and murdered the queen. Like, that's a declaration of war. So it's harder to make that landing of let's just not fight because fighting isn't worth it. Let's end the cycle of revenge. It's harder to do that when something so personal with such little time between those two events are happening. Exactly. Yeah. Like the last of us part two dedicated like 25 hours worth of gameplay to get to that resolution. Going to bring up as well of like, yeah, the entire story of last of us is about revenge. This only comes in halfway through when Ramonda suddenly dies, and then now she's yeah. becoming vengeful. 
So it's they're not dedicating, even they're dedicating like twenty minutes to this. Whereas yeah. Last of Us Two had to spend twenty five hours making that point, and for some people, it still didn't even stick the landing. Right, and then I also it's a hard think, point to make. What I also find it fascinating about it is it's so similar to In No Way Home, Peter Parker's art, where again mm. midway through, Aunt May gets killed, and then he's very sad about it. But honestly, I think Peter's arc there works better for two reasons. One is we see him still like holding that grudge when they were in the scientist scene, and he was like, "Oh, I don't know if I'm going to make a cure for Norman because I don't know if he can be cured or if he deserves it." Um, but he goes into that battle not like in the mindset of revenge. Like he is going there saying, "Okay, we're going to try and cure all these people," and it's mm-hmm. only during that battle when he comes face to face with Norman that he suddenly becomes very vengeful, the rage takes over, and he's trying to kill Norman. And so the gloves come off, and he's attacking them. So he's going in, not with the mindset of, like, we're doing this, I'm bringing people to war in order to kill Namor as revenge. Whereas Jerry did do that, and she knows, like, the consequences of it, but she's still choosing to do that. Peter was going in to save them, to cure them, not necessarily to, like, go and kill them for what they did on May. Also, Peter is stopped by Toby Maguire. Like, he was going for it, but then stopped by someone who's actually physically there. And, yeah. again, it's a parallel that they have of, you know, Toby initially was vengeful as well in his movies, and he went after the guy, and he accidentally fell off, but then he realized, oh, it didn't actually help. Um, and, of course, he finds out it was a different guy anyway that actually killed his aunt. Or his yeah, but ben. why why does Willem Dafoe stab him in the back? I what don't know if that's that a bad because yeah, that's just a random thing to dramatize it. But um, yeah, that part wasn't good. Doesn't do anything. But Toby doesn't get hurt. I know, I know. But Toby stopping uh, Tom Holland. It has nothing from, to do with this. I'm just still upset. I know, about yeah, yeah. But him stopping Tom Holland works because it's yeah, it plays into both of their character arc and their connection of like he lost Uncle Ben and he was eventually and he realized that wasn't the way. So he's going to help this Peter who just on on May know that that isn't the way. That works yeah. a lot more than Ramondo randomly showing up. And also, do we even believe that Ramondo wouldn't want Namor to die for having killed her? I don't know that that was built up well enough either, that she would be like, no, this isn't who you are, don't do this. Like, yeah, she was very mistrusting of Namor and not willing to negotiate. Exactly. So I feel like, number one, yeah, Ramondo probably would be like, yeah, kill that guy and his people that are a threat to us. Um, but number two, her randomly showing up and just being like, hey, don't do this, show them who you really are. I don't feel like that works as well as what went down in No Way Home. I do think the cross-cutting works well of, like, their parallels. Yeah. Um, but again, in the same way with, like, what they do with Last of Us, when you show that, like, image, although they do do it well, because, again, they're both showing, like, the happy parts of it, but I feel like it's also so easy, like, if you're thinking of that, you could then think of the dead body of Joel, or the dead body of Ramonda, or the attack, and then yeah. now you're in those vengeful feelings again. It's a balance to strike. I think ultimately, like it, it's okay. They showed okay. There's parallels between our people. We don't have to be fighting this way. Um, I think that part was cool. But yeah, ultimately, the building all this up and having the big decision whether to kill Namor or not, it wasn't built up enough as her character arc throughout the entire film. And then it does feel quite contrived how she ultimately makes a decision not to kill when again she just brought her people to war. People have died in that fight that they were just at, but now she's choosing to spare Namor. Um, I don't know. It felt a little bit of 
a stretch and a little contrived. It didn't feel like it was all cohesive and um, a well-planned, well-thought-out arc. I agree. Yeah. Um, the other aspect to her character that they are like sort of bringing up is her um, being somewhat against the traditions. Right? She's young. She's very into the tech. Um, so she's not as connected with that like spiritual stuff, didn't believe in the ancestral plane. And I think that's an interesting aspect as well, but I don't think it was developed as much as it could have been. That's also part of why I think Ramonda randomly showing up in the ancestral plane. If like Shuri had such a hard time believing it existed and then had a pretty bad experience with when she did go in the ancestral plane because she met Killmonger and not the people she wanted to meet. Seems hard to think, like, okay, if she's still somewhat of a disbeliever, why would Ramonda appear to her in that way? So, I don't know. I, it was a good idea, but again, a lot going on in the film. They couldn't develop it too much, and I think it does weaken Shuri's character because they aren't able to go into that. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. How then, about that end, though? So everything's settled. Namor's alive. There's peace. They have a couple of teasers with Everett Ross getting out and Namor talking to the one chick about people coming after Vibranium. So they set up future stuff. And then you have Shuri. And she's in Haiti in this really cool-looking truck. And she gets out of the truck. And she goes and she meets Nakia. And Nakia has set up a fire. And she goes to the fire. And she sits... And she thinks about T'Challa. And she throws, she burns the, the funeral robes. The last thing that like, that, that like sense of acceptance. And then we get that little tribute where they show clips of them together from the first movie. Thoughts? Mm -hmm. Extremely powerful and moving. Yeah. I really liked it. I'm glad, I like that she doesn't say a word. Mm -hmm. She just sits and thinks. And it's just quiet. Yeah, once again, they just let the sound fall away and just let the image speak for itself. Again, it was very silent in the theater. Everyone was being careful not to move or do anything or cough. So thankfully, yeah, I was able to just be a nice, truly silent experience watching those images of T'Challa. And again, it's it's nice that we're bookmarking it with, um, with him and grieving with his loss and then her finally coming around to accepting it by mm. putting in those the funeral robes. So, yeah, I thought that was extremely effective. I will say, though, why did they put in the trailer? The why first, first shot of the first trailer is the last shot of the movie, and I hate when they do that. Why did they keep doing that? So, yeah, upsetting that they did that. But overall, yeah, it worked. And then cutting in those images of Chala from that first film, I mean, how could you not be moved by that? So, yeah, I think they did a great job there. And then with the end credit scene, we learn of Prince T'Challa, Toussaint, the son of King T'Challa and Nakia, who has, for the past six years, just been hiding away in Haiti. Um, so that's an interesting revelation they have. And again, pointing to something being hopeful, you know, him having that same sort of spirit of T'Challa. And now she has more family. He's... Mm. She lost her, her parents and her brother, but now she has a nephew. So, yeah, it's a nice little hopeful yeah. way to end things off. 
Do you think this resolves the complaints that people had that T'Challa should be recasted instead of replaced? I hope that it does, because then they'll be able to, I mean, obviously they'll be different characters, but they'll still be able to have that, that male hero. And I think that's and maybe part of what it was as well, of having a black male hero um, who did serve as like such an inspiration to so many people like when it happened in 2018. Um, and so that character is so meaningful and uh, so important for people. And so I think having Prince T'Challa who will come in and likely be in that same mold and try and you know, take after his father as much as he can. I'm sure, like, in terms of the story, whenever that comes around, they'll try and do that and have him, you know, do what he can to live up to King T'Challa. I think that'll be more interesting in the long run and more satisfying for us as the audience than the alternative, which would have been the real-world case of can they live up to Chadwick Boseman's performance as T'Challa. I feel like that would be unfair to whoever they would have recast as T'Challa and unfair to the character itself, since I mean, obviously, I'm not going to be the exact same, no matter how talented that other person would be. You're just not going to be able to match exactly what Bozeman did with the character um, and how well he embodied it. So, yeah, I was always on the side of just retire the character of T'Challa. Chadwick Bozeman is T'Challa for as long as the MCU runs until they do whatever the reset is and they start recasting all those characters. I think it's just better to have let him you know have his mark on that character and yeah now we'll have prince t'challa who can eventually take up those reins um so yeah i think it's a good choice and hopefully it will allow people to feel better about t'challa not being recast yeah i agree is there anything else you want to talk about with the movie so the music and the costumes I think Great. they were once again on point. The Dora yeah, Milaje song that they had, where it started going like, ooh, ooh, oh, like that sort of thing. That was, uh, that was a perfect rendition of it, by the way. Was it? Yeah, it was Because <laughs> that is one that I could listen to all day. So that was really yeah. cool. And they played it like a couple of times. That's amazing. Was that in the first one? I don't even remember. I think so, but not a lot. Mm, yeah. But I can't so, remember. So that one was quite memorable. And then, like, the soundtrack, I'm absolutely got Rihanna to come back for this film. So that's incredible as well. Um, and then the costumes. I think all the stuff with the funeral. I think we talked about Namor's look. Um, and a lot of the look of, like, Namora as well. That looked really interesting. Um, and then some of the just everyday attire that they're wearing. Like Shuri when she was in um, America trying to get Riri Williams. And... There was a couple of costumes for Nakia and Nakoye. Um, like all those, I think, like they're interesting, they're unique, they stand out. So all of that was on. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Okay. So that brings us to the end of our Black Panther discussion. How would so, you rate the movie out of five water bombs? <laughs> I'm giving it three water bombs wow what are you giving it i'm gonna give it three and a half water bombs gotcha three is lower than i thought you would give it yeah i mean honestly it's a long film and throughout it i could sense that i wasn't as 
engaged or enjoying it as much as I would have liked to have been. Just sure. there are parts of it, like I said, that really hit the nail on the head. But a lot of the stuff of like the plot and then the character choice as well with Shuri, I and then with Ramonda as well, especially, I don't know if I was on board with all of that. So mm-hmm. yeah, a three for me. I see it. I get it. Anyway, that is all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at theboxofficeshowpod at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDate. If you like the show, please give us five stars on whatever podcast app you're listening to, and be sure to tune in next week. Stay tuned.